0: Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 224 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this episode, we'll be delving into the work of the Rochester, New York-based label, Carbon Records. Started in 1994 by Joe Tunis as a means of documenting his own projects and other local bands, the label has gone on to issue numerous releases by artists from across the U.S. and around the world. The label's catalog covers quite a range of material from indie pop and heavy psychedelic rock to more experimental and improvisational works that veer towards the outer realms. I had a chance to speak with Joe this past week, and we discussed some of the history of Carbon Records and the changes that have occurred in close to three decades of running a small, independent label. We also touched on some of Joe's other projects, including his weekly radio show called Numbers, his podcast and zine called My Teeth Need Attention and his involvement in the long-running group, Pengo. We get to hear this conversation with Joe in a few different segments throughout the show, along with track selections from several of the newer releases that have come out on Carbon. Before we get into all that, I thought I'd play a few personal favorites from the label, starting with this one from the band Hinkley. It's a song called Living in the Shadow of the Universe from their album, Peak of Light. I remember discovering Carbon Records while I was writing for the Foxy Digitalis blog back in like, I think it was the mid to late aughts. And I recall reviewing a John Charlton CDR that you put out. Uh, But I'm pretty sure that uh, I got this compilation, which is this makes for bad radio and podcasting. I'm holding up the I Don't Think the Dirt Belongs to the Grass 3 CD compilation. And I'm pretty sure I got that before that John Carleton, Charlton excuse me. Um, and that one really captured my attention. I mean, part of it was because of the inclusion of a track from Pumice, which we was the intro music that we used for the show here, uh, who's one of my all-time favorite artists. Yeah. But I remember being surprised at that time, and I guess I still am to this day, but by the time of that compilation... You had already been around for 10 years, and you had already put out, I mean, that was like... The, I mean, the, I, 99. Yeah, I was like I mean, 100 releases by the time I was picking uh, up on this. Um, so maybe to start us off, can you walk me through maybe the, the early years of Carbon, and, and maybe your motivations for starting the label, and how it became so prolific in that initial decade?
1: Um, why well, I, I planned obscurity really well, right <laughs> after that <laughs> Stay off the radar for a long time, I'm still off the radar. Um, no, you know, it's funny. I, I was just at my buddy's record store and, um, he handed me this cassette. He's like, dude, can you dump this, uh, rip this cassette to digital for me? Somebody just walked in with it and it's from 1992 and it's, uh, the college I went to, it's a compilation tape that I was involved in, uh, with my college band. Uh, so th- in 91, I started my college band. It was like the first thing I ever did uh, musically um, and got the bug of uh, putting out tapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of how it started. Like we put out a couple of sets just as the band. And uh, and then in 93, I graduated college. And um, a- at school, I-, I went for a computer science, but I was really into printing. I took a bunch of printing classes. I was kind of obsessed with like packaging and printing and Mm -hmm. at the time you know a lot of people were doing diy stuff but then there was also a lot of like really crazy packaging coming out um and i thought oh i should do a label um i don't know why i i got the simple machines guide to how to put out a record oh right yeah that right Yep. uh explained the process because i didn't know anything about how to put out vinyl um and kind of jumped right in uh my band right after, right after college was called Hilka. Uh, we put out a seven inch kind of as the band The label didn't start yet, but I kind of handled, you know, finding a record, the pressing plant and figuring out how to get covers printed um, stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, so that was like 90, so that was 93 and then the spring of 94, April of 94 is when I put out the very first carbon release mm-hmm. uh, and it was my own tape. It was a Joe Plus. Back then, my my solo project was called Joe Plus Four Equals Poopy. <laughs> uh, Poopy, Poopy was my nickname my mom had for me when I was a kid growing yeah. up, and uh, I was at the time I was into like that kind of uh, quirky, you know, indie pop, you know, like the Shrimper tapes and right. you know, like in indie pop, you know, that was a little funny, a little tongue in cheek, a little cute. Um, so I went with that name, but I soon, I dropped the, the poopy part of it. Um, <laughs>
0: the poopy I, didn't last. Huh?
1: Then I was really official, Jumpless 4 for a while, uh, and I was really referring to my 4-track. I was recording a 4-track, you know, like most people did back then. Yep. And um, and then I switched it to Jumpless, N because it became digital, so I could add anything. Oh, sure, um, yeah. That's the behind the scenes on my stupid solo moniker.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: So Yeah, so the spring of 94 is when I started the label.
0: That's, yeah. Well, I think most people that start labels, and you've mentioned a few things already here, you you have a few other labels that you follow closely and, and sort of served as an inspiration for starting your own. And you mentioned like Shrimper Records, and you were following some of the cassettes and things that were going. Are there any other labels that stand out in your mind that were sort of like, like served as an inspiration for you in that early phase? Yeah.
1: Table of the Elements.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, yeah, right off the bat.
1: So I mean, I was you know I was kind of looking back at they they just did this archive. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone's handling the archive.
0: Yeah, John but, Mueller. Um, John Mueller is doing that.
1: Yeah, John, right? And uh, you know, so you buy these, you could buy these blind bundles of stuff, and I'm like, all right, I gotta do it. See, see if I get anything I don't mm-hmm. have. Um, and I was kind of trying to figure out like how long were they around before I started carbon? They were around for about a year and a half, maybe two years, I think. They started around ninety one or
2: two
1: mm-hmm. um and that was the from a packaging design standpoint that kind of blew me away they were doing incredibly minimal packaging um the idea of the catalog numbers being uh elements i found fascinating i wonder why i called it carbon
0: yeah <laughs> the
1: name came from that
0: that it yeah.
1: kind of inspired the idea behind the name of carbon right uh and plus I was like reading a lot. Of, I, I like reading like science books, like uh, biographies of mm-hmm. scientists. Um So I was probably reading something about somebody and that we're all carbon based and blah, blah, blah. Um, and how, you know, carbon molecules are crazy and complex. Um, but Table of the elements is kind of one of the things I had like two names in mind and that was one of them. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'll go with that. The other one was goofy. <laughs> the other one was more of that uh, kind of indie rock. Right. Uh, Indie
0: pop kind of, thing. I'm gonna. I'm just. I don't think I'm going out on a limb. I think you you chose wisely going with carbon. That's, I think that that that's that's held up well for 30 years. or close yeah. to 30 years now, right? Uh,
1: yeah, 20. Uh, yeah, I'm in the. We're, I started the 30th year. So April next year will be 30 years.
0: Yeah, remarkable. You know, up until that point of you know that early aughts or whatever. You know, I had been into independent music followed labels, you know, bought records, went to shows, you know, felt like I was pretty well versed, but I felt like there was this time where like this, uh, major, like opening up of things, you know, when the, when the internet became a little bit more widely available and accessible and you kind of yeah. just discovered this whole other international network of, of independent, uh, kind of sub underground music labels that, that was just really eye opening for me, you know, from, from folk to drone to, to noise, what have you and i guess I guess i I always thought it was interesting because it didn't really matter so much about genre. It was sort of like this form of unfiltered uh self expression that people were just releasing these things out into the wild. you know as someone who has operated a label you know through several decades now of i guess ever changing technology media usage. Um, you know, can you provide some perspective on how the internet you know shaped and influenced those early years from you because you were kind of starting it at a transitional time uh you know yeah. almost I, I would say pre internet because i don 't think I was really on the internet so much in nineteen ninety three and ninety four um and I guess where you 're at today in terms of navigating multiple social media sites uh, distribution platforms what have you
1: yeah um yeah, so I was uh on the internet quote. Um. <laughs> back in school. So I, I kind of remember seeing my first, uh, website. So the internet has been around way long than the web, but mm-hmm. I remember seeing my first website in like 91 or two. Uh, I was a lab assistant in the lab and I saw this kid looking at this thing. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm looking at a homepage. That's what everybody called him. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, fast forward to starting to label, um, I, you know, had a computer at my apartment with all the guys and, I had an ISP. I think it was dial-up maybe at the time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But, you know, I got an email address. Uh, I didn't have the domain yet because that was a mystery to know how to buy a domain name, you know. So the first Carbon domain was like this really long thing with like tildes and stuff and like my (laughs) name. And you can still find it on a Wayback Machine, which is fun. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I started up uh, a website probably in 94, for the label, oh wow, yeah, and um, you know, you had to be like, you couldn't put big image, like big images were like this big, you know, it felt <laughs> a little thumbnail. And I remember trying to figure out how to put an audio sample up, uh, and that point, MP3 wasn't really a thing yet, right? So I was like, real audio was a thing. Um, this company made this thing, you know. Um, so I like struggled with that, but. Um, that I think that was a big thing for me as far as like meeting other people. So I already w- was meeting a lot of other people through mailing lists, so list servers back in college. Mm-hmm. I met a ton of people that way. Uh, other people running labels. Um, I mean, back then everyone on the internet was either a government worker, a librarian, or a computer science person. So I met a lot of those those people, but um i remember meeting this guy uh in boston that ran pop narcotic this really great label put out um you know probably like a dozen things mm-hmm. uh he kind of taught me a lot about um how to put out records i remember meeting king coffee from the butthole surfers and him helping me figure out how to who to, who to contact for pressing and how to distribute which i still haven't figured out yet yeah <laughs> right. uh, but i i kind of remember like I think about it now, I'm like, Jesus, I was talking to King Coffee back then. Like,
0: right, right.
1: Kind of mind-blowing, yeah. You know? But he was online, too, and there wasn't a lot of people online. Um, so as the years go on, though, like, I, so I'm into technology, so CDR writers came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought one once they finally got to be under $1,000. Bought a stack of CDs that were way too expensive. I want to tell you how much that was. <laughs> and um, I started putting out releases as CDR but no one could play them. Like I'd have friends trying to play them in their cars and stuff and like right. CD- and handle them. And so I put out like two or three releases like that. And I'm like, ah, it's too early. Like no one could play them. It's a waste, you know, but I looked at that as like, that's the new cassette. Like you can sit at home and make five or 10 or 20 of them. And you didn't have to like, you know, put a ton of money into a record or, um, you know, have a factory make something, you know? Right. And, like, uh, getting CDs made at the time kind of sucked. You had to do like at least a thousand. Uh, you couldn't do any less than a thousand for a long time. And that was, you know, I have way too many CDs in my basement right now of my first couple of releases. Right. Uh, I just started dumping them years ago. Uh, so, like that technology, when that CDRs came up and it was a little too new, I kind of maybe jumped the gun with it. And then I let a couple years go by and then all of a sudden I started noticing kind of some noise labels and underground labels, starting to put out CDs, CDRs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, oh, I could do it. So that's uh, probably 99. I jumped back in. So 97 is when I tried it. 99, I went back into it, and I decided to do a year of releases, two every month. So that was a big jump in the catalogs. Right, right. There you go. There's the boost. <laughs> like, I put out 24 releases in a year. Man, um, and they were all like handmade packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of what I, I, I did a couple production, you know, normal CDs before that. And I kind of got bored with it
0: because
1: yeah. it was like, send the artwork out, you get everything back straight wrapped, and that's it. And I was like, Oh, I, I kind of like working my hands and, you know, doing smaller runs and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So you um, were, you were there when I guess kind of the, the positive part of the internet that was connecting with people with like-minded folks and building like genuine networks that were helpful and positive and supportive. Whereas now, I mean, not to say that that doesn't exist anymore, but there's much, there's a lot more toxic (laughs) uh, activity and content that has sort of made the internet less enjoyable. Fair to say?
1: I used to trade, I traded that was basically my distribution channels. Yeah. Uh, I've never been good at finding a distributor to work with. I run the label in such a kind of ad hoc way that, uh, it's really hard for a distributor to even deal with me cause I don't plan far enough ahead and right. they want 45 days of press time and stuff. Um, so what I found was trading with other like minded, you know, labels and everyone who had a label I also had a little mail order side thing. Um, So that was my way of basically distributing stuff. I would trade five copies with this guy, five copies with this guy. Um, and then, you know, my stuff's getting out there. So I, that's how I met, I think, Stefan from pumice. Yep. Uh, I probably traded with him. Um, I trade a ton with like Campbell, Neil and Neil Campbell, um, you know, guys in Belgium and Sweden, um, just all over the world. Right. Tons and tons of trading. Uh, until the postage. <laughs> I was just going to
0: say, yeah, now with the way international shipping costs are, it's, it's darn near impossible to even do that anymore.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm starting to trade with a few people overseas and we're just biting a bullet and we're just yep. like, well, cost of it. Um, yeah. You know, we mark up the pieces at least to hopefully break even. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's rough. Like the, the various postal increases that have happened over the last, like, you know, two decades have been killer for right. small labels. You know, sending sending even one record to Europe is, you know, 26 bucks. Right, right. You know? I was going
0: to say, I've, I've, I mean, I've run a label for eight years now. And in that time, I've seen where, I mean, almost a third to half of what I was selling was overseas. To now, yeah. it's almost non-existent, <laughs> yeah. selling stuff overseas. That's how rare it is. Yeah, I, you
1: know, um, back, oh, this is probably... So there was a big increase in probably the mid-2000s, mid-aughts, and I redesigned my packaging because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started doing these, like, fold, just simple fold cardstock and oh, slip yeah. cases, plastic slip case, no jewel cases anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to get down to, like, you know, three ounces, two ounces. Um, and so then I was able to send stuff, and it wasn't killing people to order them from overseas.
0: Yeah, yeah. 'Cause you're putting you're not putting it in a padded mailer even.
1: Yeah, I would buy these I had these cardboard, uh flat cardboard ones and I'd be able to send them um probably like kind of as a letter, almost mm-hmm. lettering. Um yeah, so it almost like it dictated my packaging for a while. Yeah. Like otherwise, I mean it was still a cool package. Uh it, I was still able to do neat artwork on it. Um and then it made it affordable to like send copies, especially multiple copies to people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, as I was alluding to, and I guess as we're kind of discussing right now, I, you know, carbon records, I kind of consider it to be connected to this larger network of international sub underground labels, and I and I think the artists that you've worked with over the years certainly reinforce that too. If you look at uh, you know, people from New Zealand, from from Europe, what have you. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could maybe speak to how Carbon has played a role in your local music scene in Rochester, New York, and I guess maybe uh, vice versa, like how Rochester has shaped the label too. I mean, has has operating the label been helpful in terms of creating opportunities for performances, I mean, collaborations, ex- exhibitions and the like in, in Rochester that maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise?
1: Um, I mean, you know, I ended up booking shows,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and just like uh the very first show I really booked was Raphael torrell mm-hmm. I, I had no idea what I was doing um I somehow it was probably through online i I reached out to him like, Oh, if you want to play a show, I'll set something up. I set it up at a local gallery space, um I had no one work the door, he had a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about having someone at the door
2: to collect
1: money. Um, Luckily, when I was going there at the ATM, I stopped and got his guarantee, and I had it in my pocket. Um, I think I sort of – I was nervous that not a lot of people were going to show up, right, because I didn't know what I was doing, and not a lot of people knew who he was yet, Um, not in town anyway. Uh, And, yeah, literally took no money at the door. So that was the start of me booking shows. (laughs) Um, But that was – you know, he probably – He knew me a little bit through the label. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, Stefan from from Pumice I brought over um, because we already knew each other through the label. Um, So, yeah, I started booking shows kind of regularly-ish. I ran a space in town with a bunch of friends, uh, like an art space and performance space. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, everything I booked was usually people I was really into and they'd find out about me through the label or things like that. Or, you know, cursory, you know, like – uh, but the scene, you know, that sub underground kind of indie slash noise free improv, um, you know, in general, a lot of the bands on that uh, on that comp that you held up the three CD comp, I either knew beforehand or met through booking them in town.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: Go, oh, hey, you want to maybe do something?
0: Yeah. Is is yeah. are there current musicians or, or projects in Rochester? <laughs> maybe aside the ones that you're involved in um, that whether you've released them or not that that you think are doing some interesting work right now that kind of you know like are, yeah. are connect i mean are doing something that would fall in the vein of that you would potentially release on carbon
1: yeah i mean there's a, there's kind of a new crew of young people doing some neat stuff now in town um there's finally some good kind of angular you know quote math rock in mm-hmm. town that uh back in my first band out of college that was hilka was a math rock band and there was no other macro
2: bands around right, right.
1: we were playing always with like garage rock bands and stuff um so it's kind of cool to see uh, a little resurgence of the 90s uh through the eyes of you know 20 year olds yeah yeah um i mean other people in town that i'm really really into of course i'm working with already so yeah. uh nod our, my friends nod have been around forever um they had a couple records out on Smells Like on mm-hmm. uh, uh, Steve Shelley's label. Um, they their first release came out in ninety one on CD that they put out themselves, and I'm reissuing it this fall on oh, vinyl. Nice, nice, so it's like thirty two years old. I think it's going to be at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, real like kind of shambly velvet underground kind of band.
0: Right, right. I uh, played a track from them uh, in the opening block of the show. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and then Will Veter is another. Is really good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He was in a indie rock band called Mueller. Uh, Technically still in the band. They're back together playing. Um, But his solo work right now is just incredible. Um, He's gone from, you know, so Mueller was like indie rock and then he started a band after that called Hinckley. Uh, I helped them put out a couple of records, kind of
0: Americana ish. Yeah. Also a band I played in the opening block.
1: Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, and then he the the band uh, he decided to stop the band and focus on solo work, and his solo work is just blown me away. Every time he gives me tracks, he like teases me with tracks, and uh, I've always thought his songwriting is great, and, and he's just blown me away. Lately. I
0: agree with that. That CD that you put out last year is terrific. Yeah, his guitar playing terrific. Kind of yeah. has a six organs of admittance feel yeah. to it, but incredible stuff. Yeah
1: yeah yeah he uh yeah he's working on a new record right now um that uh we'll be doing vinyl of uh for next year i'm i'm kind of i'm I'm almost planning ahead um -hmm. i I barely plan ahead but i have a handful of things in 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 the works for the 30th anniversary kind of year year yeah uh, and uh there'll be definitely some wolf eater very cool
0: yeah (laughs) Well, let's uh, jump into this first block of music here. And um, I, I thought I would make note that uh, I'm going to include something from Double Wig, and, who is uh, a solo project of Clint from, well, sort of a solo project, Clint from Bardo Pond and a track from Lauren Connors, who I know that you have cited elsewhere as being amongst like your top three artists that you will pretty much buy anything of. I've heard this on various podcasts and, and stuff that you've done. Uh, so, so I thought I would I must include something from, from releases that you put out with them. But I am going to start off with something from, and I'm going to let you give me the full name. I'm, I always refer to them as Taste. It's It includes members of Greymouth, but their proper name yeah. is what again, Joe?
1: Uh, Bansho Ahi or Ashi Taste.
0: Incredible yeah. release. I was so blown away by this because... It it was nothing like what I expected. It was just like this incredible, it was someone it's like garage rock meets no wave music. It's just got thumping, jarring sound, but it's really, really great. Um, and it's old stuff, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, it was recorded, uh, like a decade ago, at least, um, uh, in Japan. So, uh, yeah. Well, well, no, not, I don't know if it was recorded all in Japan. actually now I think of it, it's very mysterious.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and there's even a person in the band that's sort of mysteriously right. referred to. And I've never talked to that person. Right. I've only talked to Anthony and, uh,
0: uh Mark, right?
1: Mark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, Mark, uh, up until recently, uh, he, you know, he's from New Zealand, but he lived in Japan right. with Mark of gray Uh, they lived there for a while, like a decade at least. Yeah. Uh, it just moved back and anthony lives in australia uh, yeah it's i i actually don't even know if that third person was fictitious
0: or not it could be right <laughs> well let's play a track from this release against the release is called summer nights and this is a track called lost letter <laughs> In addition to the label, you've also been doing a radio show called Numbers uh, for a bit. I, I don't know if it's, I'll let you answer that. I was to say maybe four or five years. Uh, it's on your local community station called Wayo 104.3. Uh, I guess it then led to what I'd call a companion podcast. Uh, it's, it's called My Teeth Need Attention. And I guess to my ears, these shows definitely expand on the scope of what you've been doing with the label. You know, Uh, But maybe for our listeners who are unfamiliar, you want to just give sort of an overview of of the weekly radio show and and then the podcast that you've done? Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. So W.A.Y.O. is a local low powered FM station. Uh, So I always forget what the wattage is, but it's low powered. It Mm -hmm. reaches a couple a couple miles in uh, radius. um, And but we're streaming online. Uh, It started, I think, January will be the eighth year. Uh, 8th anniversary. And I started right at the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I found out that the station was starting. Uh, I had looked in the low powered FM station licenses and I was like, oh, it's going to be impossible to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I found out these people were doing it. And this one guy, uh, Mike, uh, contacted me. He's like, Hey, why don't we, why, why don't you be a GJ?" I'm like, no, nah, I'm too busy. And, and I, I truly didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think they were going to get off the ground. Um, and he's like, no, no, we're all set. Like we're streaming live on the a- internet now and we'll wait for our license. Uh, so like a day goes by and I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll sub.
2: Mm-hmm. He's like, oh,
1: great. I'll put you down for a sub. And then our day goes by and I'm like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a good reason I'm, to justify your record collection, right? Yeah. I
1: thought to myself, I'm like, why aren't I doing this? I, cause I tried to DJ when I was at RET, uh, the, in college. And uh, got kicked off the air during training for, you know, doing inappropriate things on the radio. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, why not do this? So I started DJing. It's a two-hour show I do. It's called Numbers. Uh, named Basically named after the Connett project. So Numbers state. Oh, yeah, Station. for sure, yeah. That's why I start. The show starts with the bed music of uh, recordings from the Connett projects because mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, for sure. But, uh,
1: but I'm also into, like, I love reading about math and number theory and stuff, so like the name made sense. Um, they, I, you know, I used to. Uh, it does definitely track uh, to my, of course, my taste because we can play whatever we want. So I play what I like. Uh, I used to do like the first hour would be more like guitar kind of rock stuff. Second hour would be somewhat more electronic and noise, and then I sort of just slowly stopped doing it. Mm-hmm um I, I i actually slowed down buying like ele- i was buying weird electronic stuff like the weirder stuff on lies and pan and black is ever black you know that yeah. kind of stuff um and i just sort of slowed down buying that stuff um and it really i started diving way more into you know kraut rock and prog and psych type stuff and i have a bunch of friends who just turn me on to way too much music um So the station or the show is that it's, it's really like lots of instrumental stuff. uh, A lot of stuff I'm into, you know, last week I did a tribute to Peter Brothman uh, because he he passed away literally a day before a day and a half before I did the show. So I kind of, I run the show very improv just to give you a little peek. Um, I literally like, we have some DJs there that plan their show out to the minute, every song they're going to play. Yeah. Um, I work at like I'm in bands. All my bands are improv bands, so I kind of DJ improv, too. Right.
0: You bring a stack of stuff and connect it along the way?
1: Yeah. I, I literally pull records either the night before or the morning of. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff is new stuff, but sometimes maybe during the week I might go, oh, I should play that, you know. Um, so i like, bring a big stack and then, you know, start out usually with a couple longer songs to get my head going, and then I
2: can...
0: Yeah
1: the set you know,
0: so in general though you you could say, I mean it's kind of a a snapshot of what you're listening to on any given week like a, like your re- it's like your current listening pile in some yeah. regards
1: yeah. yeah and and that could be new releases or just new stuff I'm into that, yeah you know, forty years ago
0: right you know? right yeah what yeah. about what about the my teeth need attention which is you know it's a podcast and you've kind of you'll do some specifically music focused shows but there's more interviewed st- stuff too i mean was that kind of what you wanted to do is branch out and do more of an interview type show
1: you know i mean there's no restrictions for me to do that on the air um mm-hmm. i find that trying to do that live and schedule i mean i could pre-record them for the radio station too but i'd, I'd like doing the station the station work live yes yeah uh, and i've done some interviews but you know my shows i like Twelve noon Eastern on on a Friday, so like a lot of people aren't available to do it. Yep. Uh, and really, the the podcast started. Um, it came from the Zine was supposed to be first.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so the the podcast and Zine they have the same name, and it was supposed to be a Zine first. Uh, during the pandemic, I'm like, I'm going to start a Zine again, and uh, I started working on it, interviewed a bunch of people via uh, the web and stuff, and um, it just took forever. <laughs> for yeah. Me that, Get my ass in gear. And uh, I decided, oh, I should do a podcast too, part of like a companion thing. Uh, And then I realized the podcast was easier for me to get done. Yeah. You know, Uh, I don't edit them a whole lot. You know, I keep them real conversational, like I talk. And um, I started with mostly people I knew uh, because that was kind of easy. And then I started cold calling some people. Yep. They were great. They were like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. You know, like David Grubbs, Chris Brokaw, like, I don't know those guys. Right. Uh, And they were both awesome to, you know, they get on and talk for an hour or two. Sorry. And then I eventually got the the first issue of the scene. Yeah. Right. I was going to say
0: that came out not too long ago. Right. It's got like Stefan Christensen is in it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else is in the, I don't have it in front of me.
1: Yeah. The interviews are Stefan Christensen and uh, Alexander, AKA David Shapiro. Yep. Yep. Alexander, Um,
0: The new Haven guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I got into the New Haven scene a number of years ago, finding out about all those guys and starting to meet all meet them all. And then various of those folks have played here in town uh, when they get on the road and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, weirdly, those guys have made it to Mankato, Minnesota. Oh, that, that's... That whole, the whole Mountain Movers crew and Stefan Christensen, yeah. Oh, uh, nice, yeah. Yeah. Great, great group of people.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Um. You know, we, we were mentioning earlier, you're approaching the 30th anniversary of the label, which, man, you know, in this world of fringe music, I think is, well, it's either insane or it's quite an achievement. I'm going to go with it's quite an achievement, Joe. I'm going to give you that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but as someone, you know, who understands firsthand just the the challenges of putting out music in this current landscape and we already mentioned things related to like distribution and, and shipping costs, you know, what has kept carbon going for you? I mean, we talked about your initial uh, motivations for doing it at this stage, 30 years in or almost 30 years in, what keeps you doing it?
1: Stubborn. <laughs> I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I really, I, um, it comes up every once in a while with like either a label or I do my solo project. I do this thing every year called a day tour. Uh, so back in like 99, I think it was. So I was in Pango. I'm still in Pango.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but Pengo was like doing some road, going on the road and stuff. And I started around that time. I started having kids or thinking about having kids. And um, I was like, ah, I really can't go on the road right now. That was probably 2000. That's when we were thinking about having kids. And so I came up with the idea of doing a day tour. Yeah. Uh, which is me staying in town, but playing uh, between six and eight places around town every hour on the hour, right? right? And so that this year, I've been doing that for like 27 years now.
0: Oh my goodness, like, yeah.
1: And every year I tell my wife, you know, when the date is, and she's like, when are you going to stop doing that? I'm <laughs> like, I, I don't quit things. Like,
0: right.
1: I just, that was a long way of saying I don't quit things. Right. Uh,
0: you just keep adding to your plate. Huh?
1: Yeah. I mean, I quit Pango. And then I rejoined. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have quit a couple bands, but yeah, it's usually the bands are just naturally dissolving. Dissolve, yeah. We're moving away or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, and I get, I mean, there's been times, like if I look at, uh, I remember putting a spreadsheet together of all my releases and trying to remember the release dates because I don't keep track of that very well. I was doing a show a couple years ago for a 25th anniversary show where I was trying to lay out the timeline and there was definitely a couple of years where there were gaps, yeah, you know, where, yeah. I, uh, you know, recession year 2008, there was a little gap. I got laid off the year after that. And I went freelance and I had to spend all my time worrying about getting work. Right. Right. Um, so I, boom, big dip, big dip in releases that year, maybe two, maybe one
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and low, low volume, you know? Um, and then I just get these little bursts of energy and I like reach out to people. Um, I'm horrible at planning. So a lot of times I'll be like, Oh crap, I'm putting out four records at once,
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, you know, like all at the same time. And that, that kind of happened like last year, uh, Reynolds reached out to me, they had a project and I had worked with them like mm. 20 years before that. Right. And at the same time, I started talking to Clint from, uh, t- uh Clint Takeda from uh, double wig, AKA bar pond. Um, I never knew him before. I knew the other Bardo Pond guys Mm -hmm. done Bardo related stuff. Uh, But we happened to land on the same comp tape. Uh, And so I reached out to him like, Hey, we're Pengo and double wigs on the same comp tape. You ever want to put something out? And he was like, yes. And he sends me a track. I'm like, all right, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like that kind of stuff. Like I start to meet people uh, that I really admire and really into their music. Um, you know, Lauren, I reached out to Lauren again about reissuing some stuff, and he was totally into it. Uh, and that's yeah, I think that's what keeps me going. Like, I just get excited about stuff from you, taste. I mean, like, Banchuashi taste thing, like,
0: right, right.
1: Thing, I knew, you know, I knew it. I kind of knew Anthony, I, I knew uh, Mark a little bit from Greymount stuff, and um, they sent me those tracks. I was like, holy hell, um, you know, not and not what I was expecting, just right. like you said, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, so what I'm hearing you say is that there's still for you, that sense of discovery and excitement to be involved yeah. in it. Like you haven't lost that 30 years yeah. in.
1: Yeah. I never understood. You know, I, I've people I know probably not friends. Yeah. <laughs> there's no good music coming out these days. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, yeah. You just don't know. Yeah.
0: You're not, <laughs> you're not trying. And it
1: doesn't have to be the music I like. There's right. plenty of music out there that I don't like that's really good. Right. Uh, but, you know, and just the stuff that I always talk about holes in my knowledge. Um, you know, I got friends who are constantly turning me on and stuff that I'm like, why didn't I know about that band? Right, right. 20 years ago or 30 years ago or even five years ago. Um, you know, there's way too much out there to right.
0: discover. Well, there's, yeah, there's so much to constantly yeah, learn about. You, you, you just know, see my right yeah <laughs> yeah there's a few records back there joe <laughs> yeah i know well you know you you've been known uh, we've already mentioned the the compilation that i said i think was the first thing that uh that i, I picked do up
1: What's that comp what's that? Uh my daughter named that comp
0: oh that's awesome yeah by do the way i don't know i'll, I'll reiterate it's uh, i don't think the dirt belongs to the grass that is yeah, beautifully did. poetic kudos dude it like your...
1: 3 or 4 yeah. i think we were walk. it was at my old house, so she was less than four actually. And uh, we we're walking through these, this park across the street from our house, and she just said that. Yeah. And I
0: was like, mental note. <laughs> mental note. Yeah, for uh-huh. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was, what I wanted to ask is, you know, you, you've been known to put out some like special comps, you've done a lot of them, and oftentimes, to mark, uh, I guess, uh, particular periods or milestones. You know, whether it's the twentieth anniversary, twenty fifth, thirty is right around the corner. Uh, is a comp? Some, I mean, I don't. You don't need to disclose anything. But is that? Some, is there? You you often do these special things too. Limited packagings. Is yeah. that something that you've considered? You've already rattled off a few things that are possibly in the works.
1: You know, I've. Uh, it, it's it's in the thought process right now and it, it probably should be farther along than that. If it's going to happen next year. Um, you know, I put out the wound, um, double LP, uh, that was basically for the 25th anniversary, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Just I listening, Yeah. I was just listening to that this morning.
1: So for anyone wondering it's wound, not wound. Yeah. Uh, Cause the idea is wound strings, right. On okay. a guitar. Um, uh, but you can call it wound. I don't care. Um, but that, that thing, um, there were a few people afterwards that I talked to and I felt like an idiot cause I didn't ask them to be on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, I'd be on that. I'm like,
0: oh. right. I
1: felt like a complete idiot for forgetting them. Um, because that thing started as a single LP idea and I, I asked a bunch of people and they all said yes.
0: Right. Right.
1: Oh, crap cuz you know i didn't want to limit people to like a minute right. or two even you know
0: um
1: so that that has that is something that i've thought about is like wound two i right. don't
0: know yeah what
1: it would be called
0: the 5lp box set
1: oh no, it won't be f- it's got <laughs> a huge oh my god two lps uh that was my first double lp and um and he, you know that packaging is really simple it's not a gatefold yep um, I needed to de- keep the cost as manageable as possible. Um, it's just killer though. I, the... you know, I, I had to give a lot of I gave copies to everybody in the bands, and there's a lot or in the groups and there's a lot of people on it. so I had to do a fairly big pressing bigger than I normally would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it was a lot of money. I'm I drove sure. I drive to Cleveland usually to pick them up if I press out it uh, got a groove. Just yeah to try with shipping um, and uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> never you know, triple, ne- never again
1: uh, yeah the triple cd that you were holding up too the uh that was daunting but you know the cost and CDs wasn't right it was manageable at that point but i was still doing you know 1500 like five, i think that was a run of 500
0: yeah that's oh, that's a pretty large run for yeah. cd release like that yeah
1: i think at the time that was the lowest i can do
0: yeah yeah
1: pretty, way lower you know
0: well, let's jump into a uh, next block of music here, and um, we'll start off this one. I'll maybe let you talk about it because it's not even officially out yet. You've got a new LP coming out from a handful of dust. I was excited to see that there's material that they're putting out. I'll I'll maybe also note here because if we're gonna uh, you know be complete, the the other the third group that is your top three would be the Dead Sea. And, uh, of course, Bruce Russell is a member of a handful of dust who plays on this one. Uh, maybe mention, how, how did this handful of dust uh, release come together for you? And when will it be coming out, like, officially? I think it's in the next month, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
1: officially it's out uh, July 28th, I think, whatever mm-hmm. that is.
0: Um,
1: yeah. yeah, that's the official release date, um, and that's for some distribution mechanics and stuff. Right. It's co-released with uh, Ted Lee over at Feeding Tube. Um, Ted, Ted has been great uh, co-released that. Uh, I have two more LPs coming out this year that are both co-released for him and then the three last year we did. Yep. Uh, he's He's been really good about it. Um, and we, we just work, you know, it's stuff, projects I'm already working on, so I kind of reach out to him like, hey, would you be into co-releasing this. Um, and he is, you know, he's great to work with. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, this one, you know, I talked to, I've talked to Bruce for years. Um, I've done some stuff with Michael Morley, also in the Dead Sea, uh, you know, like seven inches, stuff like that. And Bruce, we, I think we got talking about it when I did the interview with him for the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I asked him if he wanted, if he had anything he was looking to put out. And he's like, actually, you know, a handful of dust is recording. And, you know, they hadn't recorded in a long right, time. Right, right um you know like peter stapleton died unfortunately uh, a number of years ago and him and alistair i, I think just weren't um kind of into it motivated by it mm-hmm. so there's been stuff that's come out but it's all like reissues or right. old and stuff like that so that was uh he was they were really excited about the recording and they sent it to me and i'm like sounds great right uh, and yeah that was that's kind of one of those projects i've always wanted to Uh, Put out the Dead Sea, of course, is on that list too. like (laughs) the Dead Sea thing out. Uh, But there's a lot of people online for that. Um, So yeah, I yeah, that's basically, you know, hey, what do you think? And yeah, cool. All right.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. That's great yeah. when those things come together like that, but well, He's let's, we, too. yeah, we'll let people uh, get a chance to hear a pretty a healthy excerpt of this one. Again, the release is called the drum is the shaman's horse. And this is an excerpt of a piece called duck and Sally inside again, a handful of dust. been involved in a number of music projects, several of which you've already mentioned throughout our, our discussion here, um, um, but some of them solo, some of them collaborative, and I guess perhaps the longest running and, and most active among those has been Pengo, a, a group that kind of has delved into all sorts of unclassifiable sounds over the years, and you guys put out your 18th full-length album last year that you released on Carbon. Um, I'm just wondering if you could maybe give me a brief overview of that particular group. And I guess how you guys go about working together. Is it kind of regular meetup improvised sessions, uh, that you just do for the sake of like gathering together and making some uh, music together? Or are you more intentional, uh, with like, okay, we're going to meet with the purpose of making an album this time.
1: It's kind of both. Um, yeah, it's funny. We, um, uh, so the, the group is myself, John Schoen, Jason Finkbeiner, and uh, Nuge. It just goes by Nuge. We'll just mm-hmm. leave it at that. <laughs> We're also known as R. Nugent. Um Yeah, we started out actually as a three-piece. So Nuge wasn't originally in the band uh, back in 98, right? I think so. Yeah, because the 25th anniversary is coming up. So I think it was like uh, August of 98, uh, John and Jason and I were at the bar talking about like No Wave, I think, and it was like you know at the time a lot of No Wave bands new new No Wave bands come out of Chicago. We're like, oh, we should start a No Wave band. And one of those guys had the name already in his pocket, uh, named after the uh, very uh, unknown arcade game called Pengo.
0: Mm. I'm not familiar.
1: <laughs> like a penguin moves ice blocks around trying oh, to block okay. something.
0: Yeah,
1: um, very 2D, you know. Um, so we started as a no wave band kind of like I played guitar and I don't really know how to play guitar and Jason played drums and he doesn't know how to play drums. And John played trombone. I believe it was very percussive. You know, our sets were like seven minutes long. (laughs) Jason would exhaust himself on drums. Um, And uh, we did that for a while. um, And then slowly started getting a little weirder dronier. And one of the, God, probably within our first five shows, we uh, we did a, a set where we improv to the first like twenty minutes of Holy Mountain by uh, Jodorowsky. Okay, yeah. We it at the local club, recorded it. Recording came out great. We're like, cool. Our first record's a live record. <laughs> um, so we so we put that out. Uh, and then in ninety, uh, probably ninety nine, we did a little weekend tour to um like Yukon somewhere, somewhere in Connecticut. Uh, a guy reached out to me and wanted to uh, book us on this thing. He was working on the show with uh, Jojo from Hydro Caden. Oh yeah. In, in Soulmania. And we're like, yeah, all right, we'll play that. You <laughs> right. know, we're ends of that scene. Uh, played at church yeah. with those guys. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, and then played uh, the next night down in Brooklyn, uh, back when Brooklyn was uh, warehouses. Mm-hmm cars on fire
0: and slightly more affordable
1: Yeah, completely yeah (laughs) we played in an abandoned building in williams yeah Yeah. um and then on that tour nuge joined us uh we were like oh it'd be cool if nuge came and he started doing like uh he he does a lot of stuff with like sheet metal and a lot of effects and some like blowing things um which have led to his project called asthmatic Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of the start of the four piece. I moved to drums, which I sort of know how to play better than guitar. Jason went to guitar, which he's a great guitar player. Um, And John plays like a synth keyboardy thing. Yeah. Uh, And he also does some horns some sax and vocals. Um, So, yeah, so we started that and and really it's, it was always improv. Um, A lot of times we, we don't talk about uh, what we're going to do. John might throw us a, theme or a word and we can interpret that however we want Yep. uh and that's that's how we go with it uh practices uh we don't really do the theme in practice we just jam uh when we're there's only been really a couple times where we're like we're going to record um and it's usually we record ourselves like we haven't been to a proper studio ever uh i think that would might be a little weird for us yeah yeah um but you know, we think, oh yeah, we're gonna record for this. So all right, we record a bunch, and then John and I usually, you know, maybe all everybody in the band will pick pieces, but John and I usually will go and like assemble it. Sure.
0: Kind of whittle um, things down from large Yeah,
1: yeah. We like. Um, he's really good at like giving direction. I can collage stuff. I'm good at uh, you know nonlinear editors. Yeah. Uh, we can kind of collage it together, and we can get them done. Pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So we're I, the plan is so if you're thinking about like plans coming up, like that's another plan, like a peng, another penguin LP. Sure. Uh, we put one out back in 20 what was that 17 I guess. Um, file under what the fuck.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right, right,
1: where Sorry if I can't swear. No, that's okay. um Yeah, and then the CD was last year. Um, uh, but the LP, yeah, we're going to be working on LP at some point, probably for carbon. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. For sure, okay.
1: You know, Yeah, and Pango has had a number of things put out by other people, and, uh, and then John and Jason each ran sort of small labels for a very short time, uh, so you'll see some things out there, unlike Hauma or... Um, what was the other one? They're, they had some great names for labels.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, They were, and they were around for a release or two. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, well, your primary instrument is sort of drums, but when it comes to the the solo work that you've done, you know, the Joe plus N um, that, you know, I've heard you kind of experimenting with various sound sources, even guitar, like guitar feedback, effects, tape recordings, what have you. I'm wondering when you're, when you're working solo, do you kind of have the same sort of real time improv feel with what you do? Or are you more into like kind of multi-tracking and doing things like that?
1: I used to try to multitrack. Um, I mean, that's hence the plus four and plus N kind of idea, mm-hmm. uh, but really like over the last, uh, two decades now, um, it's usually improv almost always guitar based or at least yeah. guitar. Um, I put on LP, um, that's a couple years ago as well. Now there's, uh, it's a sunset. I can't see, I think it's called, <laughs> um, that was the most planned or um, intentional thing I've done. Yeah. In the, like, I literally, I, I actually worked, kind of worked on a couple ideas and then recorded them, which okay. I normally don't do. I usually just press record, jam, figure out what I like. Right. Um, right. You know, maybe collage some stuff together. Um, but that one, you know, it was guitar. Uh, I did some synth on that. Um, I did some drums on that one, I think, or maybe another release after that. My buddy Chris helped me record some drums. Um, I've always, in my head, thought of some things I want to do um, with drums and guitar. You yeah. Know? Uh, and then when I sit down to try to do it from a multi-track standpoint, I just can't. My yeah. Brain
0: I know there's works. drums on this. I'm going to play something from... Uh, the split release that you did recently. It's willfully ceased to exist. And I know one of the tracks, not the one that I'm going to play, the l- the lengthier one has drums on it.
1: Yeah. That was one that, yeah, my buddy Chris helped me record the drums.
0: Okay. Okay. And I
1: sort of listened to. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It was such a weird, you know, I did it probably ass backwards. Um, yeah. But, oh, well.
0: <laughs> hey, that's, that's the way it goes. Well, We should uh, probably wrap up here, and I thought maybe before we jump into this last block, maybe one more thing. In this block, I'm going to play some Pango, and as I mentioned, I'm going to play something from Joe Plus N. There was another new release. It's a, a duo that you do with one of the members of Pango, uh, Beast View Mall, uh, which is quite the... Uh, it, it, there's some f- fun and bizarre stuff happening on this release. It's called Aloha from Beast View Mall. Uh just give us a quick uh, uh blurb on what that is all about what's happening with B- beastview mall
1: yeah, so that's a project me and John shown so John's in pango with me um we a number of years ago we had the idea of doing a duo I don't know what kind of prompted it um and then there were some times like during uh the last couple of years where like pango you know some people of Pengo couldn't do stuff and so we're like oh we'll do a beastview mall set uh, so then we decided to we put out a cdr last year and then we did that cd um what was that earlier this year i yeah, guess right yeah. um yeah john is great at coming up with concepts so he's the one who brings us every one of our shows has some kind of sample type thing earworm yeah always earwormy type stuff and people always rack their brains trying to figure out what they know the song but they don't know who it is right So there's one on that recording and we've done a couple other live shows with different, different pieces.
0: Right. I'm trying to think. Oh yeah. Abracadabra is the the one that's kind of (laughs) chopped and and screwed. We'll call it.
1: Exactly. And the first release is called Lito's scuffle. Yeah. Uh, It was the Little shuffle uh, boss gags, (laughs) Um, but he always throws these things out. I'm like, Oh, that's genius. Um, And then I have to try to like, he's like, why don't you try to do this? I'm like, dude, I don't know how to play guitar. Like, He's like, we play slide on that. I'm like, I don't even own a slide. So I bought a on the way to the show um, and figured it out. There you uh, go. Yeah, figured it out. Keeping
0: you, know. you on your toes. Huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah. And the name of the band. uh So in town, there's a mall. Right. I
0: was it's wondering if that, that was it.
1: A... Eastview mall. It's the fancy mall in town. So everybody in town like chuckles, of course, when they see that name. Right. Uh, you know, and I always thought, I'm like, what are people outside the area even going to think that means? But,
0: I I I just instantly thought that's got to be a spoof on some rundown mall or something it's like that. A fan,
1: it's a fancy mall. It
2: is.
0: Well, before we sign off here uh, and head into this last block of music, I mean, you've mentioned some things that you've got coming out uh, next year, some projects. Any other things you want to mention? Whether it's radio, podcast, label, personal projects that you care to mention that are coming up in the months ahead?
1: Yeah. Um, so, day tours coming up in August if you're in the Rochester area.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh,
1: then the Pengo 25th anniversary show is happening on August, the week before that, August 12th, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think Heavenly Bodies from Philly are going to come up and play with us. Oh, nice. They're friends of ours we've met over the last couple of years, played some shows last summer with them. Um, new releases uh, definitely in the works right now at the pressing plant. Uh, Liam Grant just amazing guitar player that a, a good friend, a, a very old friend of mine, uh, Rob, put me in touch with. Uh, so you know Pelt? Yeah, yep. Another you know release, Rob's Choice or Choices?
0: Yeah, I just saw Pelt yeah. a couple months ago.
1: Yeah, so Rob, that's Rob. So okay, Rob, yeah. I've known since college. Oh, I a right. younger brother. Met him back then, he got to know the Pelt guys, so he's Rob Choice. Um, so it. Rob introduced me to Liam, who is a very young guitar player, finger picking guitar player, uh, just incredible. Like the essence of Jack Rose mm-hmm. um, flows in the young one. <laughs> um, it's it's really amazing. So we have a uh, LP coming out. Uh, Feeding Tube's going to co-release that. That's going to be coming out. Uh, official release will probably be August. Um, yeah. I should be able to pick them up in July. I'm super excited about that. Uh, super excited to let people hear that. Uh, and then Nod, uh, the reissue of their first release, that'll yeah. be coming out in September, October. Um, those are the big ones. I just put out those two 7-inches recently. A handful of dust, of course, is coming out.
0: Right.
1: Uh, the two 7-inches were Alan Licht and uh, John Crossbauer, and then the other one was John Crossbauer and Patrick Shiarishi. Both just great. All those guys are great to work with. And then next year, I have a few other things that are kind of early, like Pengo, probably LP, um, maybe another taste thing.
2: Yeah, <clears throat>
0: right.
1: Um, uh, Banchuashi taste, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe another Clint Takeda related thing. Um, yeah, so a lot of cool
0: things. There's, yeah, cool stuff in the works. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start this last block of music off. Pengo track here from that re- last release that you put out. It's called Escape to Never program for melting it's a track called queasy stream and joe thanks so much for your time i really do appreciate it
1: yeah thanks a lot man
0: And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I'd like to thank Joe once again for taking the time to chat with me this past week. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this episode, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase either physical or digital copies. I'd also encourage you to head to carbonrecords.com where you can check out all of the various releases that Joe has available from both the label and from his mail order inventory. As always, I encourage you to support artists and labels like Carbon as much as you can. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another new episode. Until then...